Good morning. My name is Beth Knowles. Um, this morning we will be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 29, through chapter 2, verse 12. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons." And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks, Beth. Thanks for reading us half of almost the entire Bible right there. Um, like I said last week, uh, you know, as we go through Mark, we are going to be going through 
shorter passages, longer passages. This is obviously one of the longer passages that we're going to be taking ourselves through. And as we read through Mark, we'll see three really defining characteristics of the ministry of Jesus. And there were these three things. It was Jesus preaching the gospel, Jesus casting out demons, and Jesus healing the sick. And of course, last week what we saw was we saw Jesus starting to establish his authority. And he established his authority by declaring the word, by reading the word in the synagogue as a teacher. And then promptly after reading the word in the synagogue, he demonstrated his authority by casting out a demon by showing his power over darkness. And and by the way, this was all before lunch, all right, in case any of you have ever had a a stressful morning at work and you think it's too much to handle. And so today, we are going to look into the lives of three people who each suffered from a debilitating sickness or disease. We're going to look into the story of a a woman who had a fever, Peter's mother-in-law, a man who had leprosy, and then another man who was a paralytic. And each, what happened with each of these men and women that we're going to see is that each had an encounter with Jesus. Each had an encounter with the heart of Jesus. They got a picture to see what it was that Jesus came to do. What was the heart behind everything that Jesus came to earth to do? And so if you are someone today, if you're someone this morning who has become a follower of Christ, it's because of that. It's because you've had an encounter with the heart of Jesus. In other words, there was a moment when your heart was healed of its greatest sickness, which means you became a forgiven sinner. And then a relationship with Jesus, the healer of that sickness, began. You became like the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this encounter with Jesus, again, is not simply that time that you found God back in the day, like he was lost or something, but it's the moment when you were crucified with Christ and God healed you and the life you now live is lived with Jesus, for Jesus, and because of Jesus. And here's what I mean. Um, to give us a little context for that, like, I, I don't have a marriage right now because I simply met my wife, had a marriage ceremony, and then we moved into separate houses to live out the rest of our lives, right? By the way, if that sounds awesome, then we need to talk, okay? Um, but, but would that really be a marriage? I mean, technically, yes, like we'd have this certificate, but would that be what we would consider and define to be a marriage? Well, well, no, of course not. A marriage is a lifelong commitment and daily encounter with someone who you walk through life with, which is really the big idea behind naming this series, Walking with Jesus. So the stories that we're going to look at today were men and women who experienced an encounter with Jesus. These were men and women who had a physical affliction until They had an encounter with Jesus that would allow them then to walk with him. Because at the end of the day, and this is what we're going to look at, some of the questions we're going to bring up, is this. Is it enough to simply be healed? Some of you guys are not feeling well. Some of you guys have battled with sickness, with disease, with physical affliction. So we have to ask ourselves, is it enough just to be healed? Did Jesus come to the earth so that you'd be able to just simply pass your physical with flying colors? 
What is the heart of Jesus for our hearts? That's what we want to look at this morning. And, you know, it's humbling. It's humbling to think that even though we live in this era of all this medicine where everybody in Ohio, like nobody dies before 110, like it's, it's amazing that we live in this era of just unprecedented advances in medical treatment. But yet pain still has the ability to literally flatten us and keep us down, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know if anybody's noticed so let me just throw it out there for some information. But there's been like this cold and flu bug that's been going around, like recently. I mean, how, how many of you have caught that? I mean, how, literally everybody just needs to raise their hand. There's like two of you that just raised their hand and like you're all lying right now. Like everybody's caught that, that flu bug, right? Um, and here's the thing, like medicine right now, like medicine is like good, Right, like you're clearly not a doctor phrasing it that way, Martin. But like medicine is like really good. Like antibiotics, they, they, they like work now, right? But this thing has like taken you down. I mean, the two people that raised their hands, right? I mean, before all of you liars, like I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't talked to anybody who just like popped some Tylenol and like leaped out of bed, you know, out of, like a dancing fairy, you know, just hopping and skipping back into the, the rigors of daily life. Everybody's down. Everybody's down. That's the effect. That's the effect of sickness and disease. It destroys our independence, doesn't it? It destroys our independence, but at the same time, it makes us feel isolated when we're sick. It warps our sense of dignity and worth, even a small cold. And so these three stories that Beth just read us, have, they, have, they have a tangible relatability to any of us who have ever been bedridden for any reason. And yet... We also know about Jesus is that he's also called the suffering servant. He's somebody that understands suffering. He reminds us that God is not unfamiliar with pain, giving the suffering that he was going to be going through before and up till the cross. But what we're going to see is that God uses suffering, as we saw all the way through our study through 1 Peter, to introduce us to the power of faith through weakness, Right? Because all of us eventually are going to die of our last sickness. And for some that happens later, for some that happens earlier. But is God doing something in that? What's the end game when we start thinking about God and we start thinking about our own sense of pain? C.S. Lewis uh, had a couple of really amazing quotes about pain. He said this, If tribulation is a necessary element in redemption, we must anticipate that it will never cease till God sees the world either be redeemed or no further redeemable. Well, that's cheery. Thanks, CS. Here's the, here's the second quote. He said, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. And he made this famous quote. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So what we're going to see here is we're going to see the heart that Jesus has for the hearts of the people that he very intentionally reaches into and touches. And in our first story, what you just heard Beth read, what we find is Peter's mother-in-law, right? So Peter was a married guy, doesn't mention his wife here in Mark's account, but he was a married guy with a mother-in-law, and she was sick with a fever when Jesus and his disciples come, right? So they had just spent some time, we remember from last week, they'd been in the synagogue, Jesus was preaching, he cast out uh, the unclean spirit from the man who came to the synagogue, and then they go home, they follow uh, Peter home, and now they're faced with uh, Peter's sick 
mother-in-law, right? And what we see, what we don't see here, but what's implied is that she's unable to greet them. She's unable to welcome them in the house. She's unable to be hospitable in the way that would have been appropriate in their culture and even our culture. She's unwell. She's not well. And you know what's interesting is that there's, there's a shame in that for us, isn't there? There's a shame that comes with sickness that we're all familiar with, right? I mean, I don't typically have people over to visit when I'm laid up in bed, right? I don't throw a party when I'm down for the count and I'm in bed. You know, I don't do a this is us marathon. Hey, everybody, come over. We're going to eat some good food. We're going to feel better. No, I, I, I kind of feel isolated. There's some shame to the fact that I'm not myself, that I can't be who I normally am. I don't want people to see me like that. And then if you've been sick for any uh, period of time, there, there's almost kind of a guilt that sets in, isn't there, uh, for not being able to contribute the way everybody else is contributing to life and to community and to family and to friendship. But Jesus approaches her, it says. He approaches Peter's mother-in-law. And here we see the compassion and we see the heart of Jesus. He takes her by the hand, he lifts her up, and the fever leaves. And it's just as dramatic as the unclean spirit in verse 26 who came out of the man at Jesus' command. And what we find out about this is the authority that Jesus had over unclean spirits, he also had over sickness because the sickness becomes completely powerless in Peter's mother-in-law at the touch of Jesus. And not only that, but it was immediate because it says, then she begins to serve them. Now listen, it doesn't mean that she became a slave, right, just because Jesus healed her, right? It wasn't like Jesus healed her because somebody had to make lunch and it wasn't going to be him. Like that wasn't the reason for doing all of that, right? What it means is that Jesus relieved her of momentary suffering and she responded. By how? Well, by serving him with the strength that he just gave her. And this is a picture of how we serve Jesus. Even in our weakness, he touches us. He lifts us up. And we serve others with the same humble heart he showed us by coming to us and caring for us. Mark 10.45 said, For even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see the effects of Jesus touching Peter's mother-in-law, lifting her up. And the response now was that she was able to now serve Christ, serve the disciples with the strength that she had received from Jesus. And then we move to sundown in verse 32, which would have been at the end of the, the Sabbath day. And what we see is that the whole city starts gathering around the house. Now, when they say whole city, it doesn't literally mean everybody in the city, but it means a very large gathering uh, in the city gathered around the house. And it said that Jesus starts healing many, and he starts casting out many demons. So you kind of start getting the feeling like this is a long day. Long day for Jesus and his boys. And again, at the very end of that particular uh, passage, uh, you see in verse 34, you see that he would not permit the demons to speak. He would not permit the demons to reveal his identity. Jesus was withholding his identity until the right time. And we're going to see later on in the book of Mark just what that right time was. But Jesus was not going to give the power of his identity to be revealed to demons. Right? He also understood something, and this is a little bit to the side. He also understood what it is that the people were expecting 
You know, Jesus going around preaching the gospel, casting out demons, and healing the sick, that is not what the people had in mind when they thought about what the Messiah was supposed to do when he finally came to rule the earth. They were thinking of a conquering king, right? Like they're thinking of a guy that's just going to level Rome so that he can sit on the throne. But of course, the kingdom of God was not going to be the way that they thought it was going to be. It was not going to be manifest in the way that they thought it was going to be. So Jesus was very careful about revealing who he was and having people speak about it at a time that wasn't cool with him. All right? And so we get to verse 35, moving through the passages, and we're given some insight. Given that, we're given some insight into the heart of Jesus' humanity as someone who is now working full-time in the ministry, but being fully God, he was also fully man. And so we see here in verse 35, while it's still dark, he leaves. He leaves to spend time with his father in a desolate place, it says, or a deserted place. And, and what we don't want to miss here with this, with this uh, with, uh, uh, 35 through 39, what we don't want to miss here is this pattern in the life of Jesus, right? Um, as he ministers to us as he ministers to fallen humanity. He also takes time to be ministered to by the Father. And he does it by by creating moments of solitude and prayer for himself. And what's interesting is how the the disciples respond to him. right? By the time the disciples find him, uh, the the language here actually indicates that they were annoyed. right? Everybody is looking for you, they said. It was more like this, like, like, dude, where have you been? Like, they're all looking for you, man. And it's almost like the sense of it um, is that they were saying, isn't this great? Isn't, it, isn't this great, this, this following that we have amassed? All of these people now that are just following you and they want to be healed by you and they want to surround you. And we see Jesus' response to be a little bit different than what the disciples were hoping. But it's interesting that the disciples went looking for him, not expecting to find him doing what he needed to do which is to find some solitude and find time to pray to the Father and rejuvenate and re-energize. It's almost like when Jesus was 12 and his parents found him in the temple after this mad search, right? Doing what he was called to do. He said, didn't you know that I was supposed to be here doing the business of my father? And he reminds the disciples of this same thing. You guys aren't understanding the bigger picture here is what he's saying. And in some ways, this is the same thing. And what it reminds us about ourselves as opposed to Jesus and what the disciples are kind of uh, hinting at here is that we're so easily driven by ego, aren't we? Man, we're so driven by ego and control. We're driven by seeking approval, by needing to be needed. And you know what happens in those moments? Well, it leads to collapse. It leads to vegging. You guys ever use that word, man, I just got to veg out. It leads to binge watching right? Like all of these things. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't vegging. That's not what Jesus was doing here. He was taking appropriate time to rest, to be refreshed, to be rejuvenated. And then in verse 38, he reminds his boys of the reason he came, okay? The reason he came. He gives them some insight into the bigger portion of his heart. What is the heart of Jesus? What is his end game? And he said, hey, the reason why I came is to preach the gospel. So we need to get to some of the other towns so that I can spread the news, I can spread the message. Because he knew the hearts of the people. 
He knew that when James and John and Peter and Andrew were saying, hey, you got this throng of people that were going after you, he knew what was in their hearts. He knew that they were more interested in the state of their health than the state of their hearts. But the heart of Jesus, as we're seeing here, it was to heal hearts. So does that, does that describe us in some ways? Like how many of us pursue the blessings of God more than the word of God, the message of God, right? How many of us go after God to get what we think God can give us? And how many of us only do it when, when it's all, it's all downtimes, right? I mean, what about when the money's good? What about when the health is on point? What about when the kids are crushing it? What about when the career is killing it, right? We don't need Jesus less when our lives are more blessed. Sorry, that rhyme. Don't coffee mug that one on me. But we don't need Jesus less just because our lives are more blessed, right? I'm just saying. The power of Jesus is best manifested in our lives when we live in conscientious dependence on him in all seasons. It's seeing ourselves as we truly are. Like this next guy here as we go into verse 40 who had leprosy. Now leprosy was one of the most feared diseases of the ancient world. And what would happen is people like this man who were diagnosed with this skin disease, and there were, there were 72 different variances of this skin disease, they were forced by Jewish law uh, to live in isolation. Right? So they had to be completely separate from their community. In fact, if you were declared unclean by the Jewish priest, which... By the way, back then was the one who had to sort of uh, diagnose you and then declare you. Um, you couldn't come within 50 paces of another living soul. I mean, imagine having to shout the words like they had to. Unclean, unclean, when anybody came close. And what we see here is that this man, in his desperateness, he breaks the law. He breaks Jewish law. He breaks the Jewish law. If you look in Leviticus 13 and 14, he breaks the law that laid out all the parameters for somebody who had leprosy. And he goes before Jesus. He implores Jesus. It says he kneels before Jesus. He's hoping beyond hope that if Jesus healed him, he could become clean. He wouldn't have to shout unclean, unclean anymore. He could become clean. He could reenter society. He could experience the touch of another human being again. He can embrace his wife, maybe, and his kids. He can become part of the community. And what's curious is that he doesn't, doesn't ask Jesus to be healed. It's very strange, actually. He makes a statement on the intent and the ability of Jesus. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, you can do this, he's saying, but will you? He believes in the power of Jesus, but he's not sure if Jesus is merciful enough to do it. And I think that's where a lot of us fall. Yeah, yeah, I get it. God's all powerful. No, I get it. Jesus has my best, my best life in mind. But I don't really pray to him because I don't know if he wants the same things as I want. I believe he can do it, but will he do it? And that's the question that this brother with leprosy was wrestling with. You know what Jesus does? He violates the Jewish law just like this brother because he's Lord of the law. And one of the things we're going to see as we move through the book is that Jesus is Lord over the law. The religious right, the Pharisees, the people that had taken the law and twisted it 
He was about ready to tell them what the law was supposed to be used for in the first place, and it wasn't necessarily this. So what he does is he stretches out his hand, and he touches the leper. Like, nobody touches lepers. Like, you're staying within 50 paces of these dudes. But he reaches out, he puts out his hand, he touches the unclean leper. And then he makes this statement, he proclaims, I will. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And then he instructs the man to keep it on the down low and to show himself to the priest so that he could be declared officially clean again. But here's what's interesting is the, the man ignores Jesus. The man ignores Jesus, and he kind of goes on this evangelistic tirade in verses 43 through 45. And I think there's a little bit of a lesson here for us, especially for us that have stories about things that, that we've been afflicted with, and we now have stories to share with other people about some of the ways that God may have brought us through some of the harder moments in our lives, is that sometimes in our excitement to share our stories, we make it more about ourselves, Right? Jesus was losing his ability to enter towns that needed to hear the gospel because of his popularity of being a healer. And that's one of the reasons why he instructed this brother, hey, keep it on the DL because I, my mission is to enter towns and to preach the gospel. And if people only know me as somebody who can heal them, deliver them something which is frankly momentary, I'm going to lose my reach and my grip and my grasp in these towns I need to go to. Now, did Jesus desire to heal people? Of course. We see it right here. He desired to make people well, but more important than physical health was their spiritual heart, which was the purpose of Jesus' mission. And we see this right here in our final story here of the story of the paralytic in chapter 2, 1 through 12. Now, here's a brother who's confined to a bed. Uh, no use, he has, having no use of his legs, um, he needs his friends to carry him to Jesus, who was back at the house in Capernaum preaching the word to another crowd who had gathered around him. Um, and not to get all better homes and gardens on you right now, but this is, what we, this is what we want to understand when we think of a first century house at the time. It was literally a, a square structure, and it had a roof on top that was uh, sort of put together with wooden beams, and um, it was uh, branches and clay were used to fill in the gaps so that it could stay dry, but it was also a place that was used as a, as a, as a, as a way to entertain guests, and sometimes uh, uh, homeowners would sleep on their roof. So it was kind of a, a hospitable kind of a place. And um, so what we see here is that his friends um, take him to the top, take him to the roof. They lower him down through the roof, obviously proving that these brothers had a little MacGyver in them, all right? There was a little ingenuity, obviously a little background in you know, burglary probably was part of their, part of their uh, background since they weren't worried in the slightest about setting off the alarm system that they literally tore the roof off of the house to get to. I mean, I love that. I love just that sort of like, yeah, we just went up to the roof and we just tore it up and we dropped him down in there. You know, it's like, well, what happened with boo, boo, boo? You know, like what happened when that happened? You know what I mean? Like, did anybody start freaking out about that? It's not said. We don't get that here. We don't get that here. But this is what I love even more than that ridiculous thing that I just said that had nothing to do with the passage is I love Jesus' reaction because you know what he says? He, 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 you know what it says is that he saw their faith. He saw the faith of the brothers that were bringing in the paralytic. He saw their faith, it says in verse 5. And here's what's interesting. He knew who was part of his listening audience right there. He knew that there were scribes in the house listening to him teach. So instead of just healing the man, instead of just saying a word, instead of just reaching out and touching him right on the spot, um, 
he says, son, your sins are forgiven. I, I, I mean, imagine the reaction of the paralytic and his friends when that's what Jesus came out with, right? Sins? Like, who said anything about sins? Like, I need to walk, not be forgiven. Like, I just want to walk again. Like, what, what are you talking about sins? And you can imagine the reaction of the heart going to Jesus, requesting something, ask for something, praying for something, hoping for something, and something different by Jesus is given to this particular man. But what we know is that they had faith. And what we know is that forgiveness accompanies faith. And what we know from Scripture is that faith precedes repentance, which is what the scribes lacked here. As it says, they were outraged inside. It says because they knew only one person who could forgive sins, and that was God alone. And you know what? They weren't wrong about that. But they didn't believe that Jesus was God. And in fact, they never believed that the eventual Messiah was ever going to have the power to forgive sins. They looked at him as being a ruler. So Jesus shows his power. He shows his authority, again, by reading their thoughts and says, why do you question who I am? Like, why are you doing this? So what he does is he calls them on their unbelief in verses 9 and 10. Let me, let me read that in chapter 2. And he says this, which is easier to say to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. And then he says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a word that Jesus referred to himself to all through the New Testament, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, verse 11, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Here's the thing. It was actually much easier to say, rise up and walk than to forgive sins, wasn't it? Yet both were miracles that only Jesus, who was God in the flesh, could accomplish. But you know what the more significant miracle was? It was the faith of the men and the forgiveness of Jesus, not the restoration of the man's limbs. So it says the man gets up, he walks out, in verse 12, and the people were once again amazed and they glorified God. So very briefly here, we see three lives changed when they encountered the healing heart of Jesus who showed his power and authority over sickness. And you know what? Don't miss the astonishment of this. Don't, I mean, don't let this just bring you back 15 years, some of you 50 years when you were learning these things in Sunday school, right? Don't let this just glaze over you. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other. Let the astonishment of this hit you. We're talking about a woman who was bedridden with a fever, able to serve food immediately after encountering the touch of Jesus. We're talking about a dude with a degenerative skin disease, restored back to health immediately after Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. We're talking about a bedridden paralytic, unable to walk, standing up immediately at the word of Jesus. The people never saw anything like it because no one but God has the power over life, death, and disease. The big thing here today, the big point here is not to be amazed at the healing power of Jesus over sickness and disease. It's to be amazed that Jesus was the son of almighty God who could accomplish that. 
or not accomplish that? Does God heal everybody of their sickness and of their disease? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't. And that's going to get us into our end here with three unique implications here for us. As we consider what I just said, as we look at the healing heart of Jesus. And again, this is not just head knowledge for us, but this is the stuff of which we are to go out and live as people who claim to follow Christ. This is not just application, but this is implication. What is the text saying to us about Jesus that's good for the growth of our lives in him and walking with him? So we want, to look at, we want to look at the character of Jesus. What was it? What was it that Jesus was doing here in this moment? How? How does that matter for us? Like when we get to the end, I'm, not, I'm never trying to wrap a bow. This is no bow being wrapped. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's actually a bow being untied. This should unravel our lives every time we get to the end. Every time I say there's three things, I know I've never said two or four, but every time I've said there's three things, this is supposed to unravel, not tie up. So let this unravel you. Walk out of here uncomfortable. I know it's hard because those seats are like the money. I get it. But walk out of here uncomfortable because here's three things we see when we look into the healing heart of Jesus. The healing heart. Number one, he kept himself near the hurting. You guys get that? I mean, I didn't even need a commentary for that one, right? He kept himself near the hurting. He holds the hand of the hurting and lifts them up. He is moved with pity, it says. He touches the untouchable, and he makes them whole. He restores life to dead limbs. What does this tell us about Jesus? That he's not blind to our pain. Again, the question I asked a minute ago, does he always heal our sickness and disease? He doesn't. He doesn't. And I don't know why he does with some and why he doesn't with others. We're not told that. But sometimes he allows us to experience the pain. And it's in those moments we begin to understand what nearness means. What Jesus being near to us, what does that mean? What does it mean to have somebody that never leaves you and never forsakes you when you are in the depths of your deepest pain? What does that mean? Psalm, 1, Psalm 10, 17 the psalmist writes this, he says, Oh Lord, he says, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. You will strengthen their heart. How do our hearts become strengthened? Many times when we suffer through sickness and disease and it's not taken from us. It's in those moments that we know God is with us. And when we look at Jesus here, you know what we see? We see a God who was with people. Do we have that heart? Do we have the heart of Jesus? Or do we avoid the discomfort and the awkwardness at all costs of being with people that are hurting? Or do we come near the afflicted? Are we like the friends of the paralytic? Did you see them? They carried their friend. They didn't just ignore it. They took a risk. They said, we are going to be with you. We are going to carry you. We are going to point you to the one who can actually give you 
what you really need. Those were friends. God uses us to be the encounter that people have with him. And to ignore the hurting is to ignore our own need for healing. Micah 6.8 tells us, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? James 1 reminds us, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Are we investing in the hurting? Are we staying near to the hurting because Jesus kept himself near the hurting? Number two, he knew that physical healing was not enough. He knew it wasn't enough. The real sickness, when you look at the paralytic, was not the man's paralysis. That wasn't the real sickness. It was his sins. It was the paralysis of his heart. It's the forgiveness of sins that leads to true health. It's not to take away some of the things that some of you are battling with. Because it's one thing to simply feel better. It's another thing to be made whole again. And whether you're sick or not has nothing to do with the state of your soul. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is not the means to better health. He's the forgiver of sins and the giver of life eternal. Are we like the people who seek Jesus to fix everything in the moment? The people that were going after him? The people that were on the disciples' back as they're just manically trying to find Jesus? Because that's just believing that whatever good you attain on earth is everything. And it's not. The people were searching for Jesus to feel better. Is that bad? No. But it's not enough. Nor is it effective for the future. And some of us can treat Christianity that way. We can treat church that way. I come to church because it makes me feel better. I like the positive environment. I go because I want to hear an encouraging word. How do you see yourself, though, in that? Do you see yourself unclean like the leper? Do you see yourself unable to walk like the paralytic? Because they had no recourse. They had no option. They had no medicine. They had no advances in medical technology. Here's my question. What good would it do to tell someone diagnosed with cancer that all they needed was a little ibuprofen? What good would that do? How does that help them ultimately? Well, it doesn't. The people wanted to be healed. But here's the truth. Everyone Jesus healed would eventually die. Peter's mother-in-law was eventually going to get sick again. I mean, like, Peter's mother-in-law is not alive today. She was eventually going to get sick again. The leper and the paralytic eventually passed away. Physical healing was not enough. What kind of eternity would the paralytic be walking into if all Jesus did was heal his legs? There is more. That's the heart of Jesus. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. All of those things, all of those things, 
someday in glory when we're with Christ are going to be a reality. But until then, we know that he does forgive all of our iniquity and he redeems us from the pit. Jesus kept himself near the hurting. He knew that physical healing was not enough. And finally, he would endure a deeper suffering in order to end our suffering. You know, it says at the end there in verse 12, it said they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we never saw anything like this. Here's what they didn't know. There would be something greater than the this that the people witnessed. Someday Jesus would rise from the dead and walk out of a tomb like the man he raised from the bed who walked out of the house. Jesus endured a greater suffering in order to end all suffering. That was the healing heart of Jesus. Imagine if Jesus would have simply come to earth, healed people of their diseases, cast out demons, but stopped short of suffering on the cross. It would have meant that all his healing on earth carried no promise of heaven. But in John 11, he makes this statement about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall be alive and live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's Jesus asking that question. Do you believe this? That's our question. Do we believe this? Jesus reversed the curse of death that is upon us by bearing the weight of it on the cross. Are you upset at some of the ways that you've been made to suffer? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. The place where Jesus suffered so that one day you would never have to again. This is what we see and experience from the heart of Jesus. It what drives us to hope as we read how far reaching his compassion is. It didn't just stop with fevers gone and skin made well and limbs restored. A forgiven heart is the only way to experience unfailing health in the world to come. He endured a deeper suffering than us in order to end our suffering. And someday, as we see in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that in Christ we have found healing for our deepest sickness, our deepest disease, which is sin. Lord, I pray for all of those today who are suffering under diseases and illnesses and sicknesses that are very painful. Lord, we're reminded when we see and we read these three stories that you care about our pain. You don't ignore our pain. You care about our pain. And you show yourself to us to be the great comfort in our pain. And part of that comfort is knowing the way that you suffered so that one day pain would never be a factor in our lives again. Lord, thank you for this great truth. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are suffering, who are battling with diseases, Lord, I pray that that would be our visible hope, that that would be our great reminder, that that would be what changes 
the course of our lives and how we think and how we live and how we battle through these very real, real pains that we experience. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your hope because it's a hope that starts now and reaches into eternity. And we want a real hope. So Lord, thank you that what we see here is that you have a heart that wants to heal us from the very thing that is causing us our deepest pain. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of that. And we pray that we would invest in those who are hurting, who are experiencing physical pain. We pray that we would be like Jesus, that we would not back away from the uncomfortableness and the awkwardness and the shame and the I don't know what to say, but that we would come near the hurting and we'd have words of encouragement for them and that we would walk with them the way that you walk with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen.